I just remember looking at my friend and just, you know, the sound of Gore-Tex on ice. And on the first flip, I felt my leg break. Tons of people ski it all the time. There's never a, a time to not be vigilant when you're in the mountains like that. And I think that's maybe the mistake I made was just being too comfortable with it. Welcome, I'm Rebecca Huntington. You're listening to The Fine Line, a podcast that tells real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue in the backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This episode of The Fine Line is brought to you by the Jackson Hole News and Guide, connecting you to the stories, people, and issues that shape our valley. Subscribe at jhnewsandguide.com. June 4th, 2011, it was uh, just an amazing, huge snow year. This was the day, it was like the perfect day. I was in the Narrows on the Upper East Face, and that's a feature that's kind of the the black hole of Tiwanat, I guess, that's where a lot of accidents have begun. I said, sure, I'll go around it, and I, I took a step to the side, and that's when I slipped. We live in the shadow of, of Tiwanat Mountain, so when we actually gathered that morning after the page went out for the rescue, we were able to set up the scope and actually easily see the terrain we were dealing with and fall that, that he took. It was pretty impressive that he was able to stop. Jesse was going into shock. He's very cold. They were having a hard time really keeping him comfortable. From our standpoint, we want to save Jesse's life and his limb. And so we only have a few hours once a tourniquet's been applied to get him to a point where we can take that tourniquet off and still try to salvage the rest of his leg. In this episode, Ski Mountaineer Jesse Stover describes how a single step turns the perfect ski day into a fall and a fight for survival. We also hear from Teton County Search and Rescue Volunteer A.J. Wheeler and Grand Teton National Park Rescue Ranger Philip Edmonds. First, we start with Stover. I'm Jesse Stover. I've been living in Teton County for 18 years. I moved here because I love skiing. I'd been looking at Tiwanot, um, and there was snow to the valley floor in June, which is pretty insane. I think we left town at 3.45 in the morning, drove right to the snow, put on our skis and skins and, and started up, and it was really easy climbing, really quick skinning. So we switched to crampons at sunrise and started boot packing up. It was really hard snow, and I was with some friends that were super fit, and we were just making good time. Just another Saturday in the park. I remember the snowpack that year was just phenomenal. It was a great year and that the spring skiing was going off. I'm uh, AJ Wheeler, volunteer member of Teton County Search and Rescue, also the medical advisor for Teton County Search and Rescue, and I, I work at St. John's Medical Center. My plan for that day was not to ski. My son was planning to go to a sleepover and uh, my wife and I were gonna take my younger daughter on a bike ride, just kind of enjoy the day. I was in the Narrows on the Upper East Face. That's where a lot of accidents have begun, summertime and wintertime, and, and my friend Derek was in front of me a couple steps and he was looking up and he was like, do you wanna go first? And I said, sure, I'll go around and I, I took a step to the side I, I had an ice axe in my right hand, and I had a, a ski pole that has an ice axe grip on it called a whippet in my left hand, and I immediately went down onto both sharp points. My left crampon caught, and I flipped over backwards and proceeded to do probably 10 to 15 full layout backflips. On the first flip, I felt my leg break. I had dislocated my right shoulder where my ice axe was, and I still had 
one crampon on my broken leg and I started to stop. My, my leg got hung up on some, some chunks. Basically, my leg was turned around inside out and backwards. It was incredibly painful. And as soon as I freed the crampon from that, it, uh, I started sliding again. I know there's a two or 300 foot non-vertical cliff at the bottom of this runnel. Um, and I stopped like 50 or 100 feet from that on my broken leg on the crampon. The main thing I can remember is just saying, uh, you gotta get that helicopter here because I'm, I'm dying. The helicopter was slated to leave on the 10th of that month. One week later and there would have been no helicopter in the valley capable of doing th this mission. I'm Philip Edmonds. I moved to Teton Valley, Idaho in 2000. I started out as a ski patroller and since then worked as a climbing ranger on Mount Rainier the last five seasons at Grand Teton National Park. I think I was preparing the boat to take across the lake for um, heading up Cascade Canyon to get trail conditions. I don't think I was very far away from being able to respond. Looking at the dispatch notes, I think I arrived at the cache probably only 15 minutes at the most after the, the page went out. And so we were able to, to set up the scope and get a good big picture view of, of what we had to deal with. I remember that they had told me they had called you guys and you guys made it there insanely fast. Um, thanks for that. that was, they got there before the helicopter? It, by hours. Um, they, wow. You guys boot packed up from Lupin Meadows? Right from Lupin Meadows. And uh, it seemed like they were there in two hours? Yeah. It was I think fast. That's. that's a reasonable time frame. I was actually bleeding from both hands and both arms and my back. Luckily, there was another party on the mountain that day um, because my two partners were not in a great spot to stop and put their skis on and get down to me. They, they had, I fell 2,000 feet, so they had a long ski run to, to get to me. And these other guys came down and administered first aid to me and helped me. Um, reduce my dislocated shoulder and then kind of dig a little platform and scoot me back so I could get my weight off my broken leg. Yeah, I just remember those the, the other party, the guy's name was Eric, and that's the only guy I remember. Man, those guys were in the right place at the right time for me because I, I couldn't have lasted for my partners to get down to me. There's no way. They were to me immediately. This episode of The Fine Line is brought to you by the Jackson Hole News and Guide. What's the power of a story? Stories can lead people to rally, to vote, to take action, to learn, cry, and even to laugh out loud. Every week our writers, photographers, and editors tell the stories that shape our valley. Discover the power of story. Subscribe at jhnewsandguide.com. They, they tourniqueted my leg because it was an open fracture and it was bleeding a lot. I was actually bleeding from both hands and both arms, in my back, in my leg. The, the big long slide was on sharp snow really rough. It basically like shredded all my clothes off my body. And uh, I was in pretty rough shape, broken leg, dislocated shoulder, and a lot of abrasions and a big cut across my my eye where my helmet pinched when I landed on my head at one point. Um, and those guys just, 
they did a great job of keeping me calm. Um, tourniqueting is something that a lot of people wouldn't have done, and I'm glad they did. And I think they did it right because I still have my leg. But I could have bled out if they didn't. I don't know. It was I was given a lot of blood when I got to the hospital. They said they gave me seven units of blood, which was like half the blood in my body. So I was kind of um, on the way out. It was scary. I could feel it. And I was really happy to see that helicopter. <laughs> they flagged me over to the phone and said, hey, um, you know, the guys on scene have a report. And so I started talking to Eric and he said, you know, I'm really worried. We've been here for several hours and I've tried everything I can to try and stop the bleeding from, from Jesse's leg. And it's just not working. We just put on a improvised tourniquet. And so when you hear that, as a medical provider, the clock starts ticking. We did replace the tourniquet that they had put on. It was a nice improvised handkerchief-style tourniquet with a pre-manufactured tourniquet that's a little wider, that's a little safer. As per uh, AJ gave us the, the approval for leaving that on. It was a, a bone bleed, so the tourniquet um, does well at stopping bleeding from the tissue surrounding that open wound, but the bone itself, direct pressure does not stop the bleeding unless you're packing actual direct pressure inside that bone. So the tourniquet was only partially stopping the bleeding. You know, it used to be forbidden to ever use tourniquets, and then throughout research done in the recent wars and stuff, people have come to realize that there is a place for tourniquets when it's life over limb. And that was the decision that Eric was making, and I think it was the right decision. But from our standpoint, we want to save Jesse's life and his limb. And so we only have a few hours once a tourniquet's been applied to get him to a point where we can take that tourniquet off and still try to salvage the rest of his leg. So once I had that information, and Eric also was relaying, it looked like Jesse was going into shock. He's very cold. They were having a hard time really keeping him comfortable. I came out and chatted with Scott and uh, some of the other uh, guys who were planning the, the mission. And then we did a 180 at that point from shuttling more people up the mountain to we were going to go with a short haul insertion, try and put him in the litter immediately and bring him out because that was going to be the fastest way to get Jesse off the mountain at that point. And AJ came in with a litter on the end of a long 100-foot short haul line that hangs beneath a helicopter. Landing a, a litter on that steep of a slope is tenuous for the short hauler. You're suspended in the air with the litter in front of you and you have to get the litter set down and then find purchase in the snow. And that was really the thing that probably I was most nervous about the entire day was making that first landing going in um, and not having happened to me what happened to Jesse and slip. You guys also had posted somebody up on the shoulder to just spot for avalanches. That's right. Which was really, wound up being key. I wasn't even aware at that point, you know, as a med medical provider, I zoned in on taking care of Jesse and, and the short haul responsibilities that I had until somebody started yelling avalanche. It was not quite a burning building, but it was um, going to be very soon. The nature of spring skiing is that you have a, a window of very stable snow. As the snow heats up on that big east face, it creates a big solar 
solar fetch and, and warms quite rapidly. I've actually sat in that exact spot on that hill before after bailing on a Tiwanot attempt and <laughs> watched two other climbers trying to summit or coming up the middle at way too late in the day. And I, I sat in that exact spot and yelled at those guys because um, I could see exactly what everyone else was seeing, that the whole upper face is peeling, this giant slush bulldozer of snow coming down the runnel, and it's not where you want to be. Okay. I see it. That secondary platform wasn't quite complete, um, but as, as soon as they started seeing um, those those slides gathering mass, we we had to do a do a burning building kind of drag um, over to that that partially built platform. If we would have stayed in the in the runnel, he would have ended up over the cliff and maybe a couple of us with him. I, I had arrived on scene and um, I know we had your legs splint at that point and we had you on, I think, a scoop and uh, those guys on the shoulder saw the slide coming and it wasn't a sudden, you know, here it comes. Like you said, Phil, they could see it coming and they gave us plenty of warning, but we only had about a minute before it kind of got to our location. So we just said, all right, let's go. We grabbed you and hauled you over to the to the litter, and that definitely, I think, sped things up a little bit. We definitely needed to be off of that part of the mountain um, in short order. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to to deal with, but you're just I'm I couldn't do nothing on my own at that point. I was completely incapacitated. So I do remember. Um, them picking me up and moving me. Um, I don't remember if it hurt or not because it was, that didn't really matter at that point. It was, it's like this has to happen. And they did a great job of moving me quickly. I just remember seeing somebody's backpack went rolling down the hill and off the cliff it went. And that particular slide, I think, just continued to kind of roll through almost for the entire time we were then still up there. Yeah, or I there was were still up frequent there. pulses every five, ten minutes, just moving right through that original platform scene once we vacated it. The worst part of being a, a victim is when you're sitting there helpless and you can see and hear what's going on. I don't know, I just know I'm putting it, everybody else at risk. There's never a, never a, a time to not be vigilant when you're in the mountains like that. And I think that's maybe the mistake I made was just being too comfortable with it. You spend your whole winter with your primary concern as a ski mountaineer is, is avalanche danger. So it's kind of a day when it's springtime and you know that everything's frozen so solid that it's seized. You're not worried about an avalanche. So you can kind of change your way of thinking, I guess, and just takes away one more thing to think about and worry about. But hard snow is something to contend with. I think that hard snow probably is the source of a lot of accidents in the park. And what happened when I slipped, I, I could not tell you. I just took another step and out of there. I don't know if the crampon broke and then I fell or if it tore off as I started to fall. Because as soon as you slide with your crampons, they, they catch and they're Great when you're upright and terrible when you're not. 
still haven't skied. It hurts too much to put a ski boot on. But I think I will. I won't ski Tiwanot again. <laughs> but I think I'll ski again. If I could just go ski a nice powder run, I'd be super excited about that. I go do stuff in the mountains all the time, whether it's skiing or running and backpacking and camping. And if I got hurt out there, I would hope that there's somebody that would come and try to help. It was a beautiful flight. I'm sure you didn't. I just remember being so cold and shivering so hard and we flew like two minutes, not even. And it was like being dipped into bath water. It was so warm in the valley. Yeah. I just remember the feeling the change in the air temperature. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna make it. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.